Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. My name is Mark Sennett. I'm the CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters. And as always, this podcast is sponsored by the Health and Safety event. And if you're not familiar with the Health and Safety event by now, I'd be rather surprised. But uh, I would strongly urge you to find out more information about the Health and Safety event, which will take place on the 30th of April to the 2nd of May next year, 2024, at the NEC in Birmingham. And it is co-located with the Fire Safety event, the Workplace event, and the Security event. It's completely free to attend any of the three days. Lots of educational content on there. And it is the UK's biggest health and safety event. As I said, it takes place 30th of April to the 2nd of May next year. And you can register your interest to attend for free at healthandsafetyevent.com. So... As always, we start the podcast with the news, but you don't need to wait until the podcast comes out to get the latest news in the health and safety sector. You can go to our website. Now, if you can't remember our web address, it is hsmsearch.com. But don't worry, just throw into a search engine, any search engine, health and safety matters, and up we come. And on the website, you can see all of our upcoming webinars. Watch all of our past webinars on demand for free. Subscribe to get copies of Health and Safety Matters for free or sign up to our twice a week e-newsletter along with 54,000 others of your peers. It comes out, as I said, twice a week, all completely free. And it's got all the latest news, prosecutions and products and services. And all you need to do is go to hsmsearch.com or throw into a search engine hsmsearch.com or health and safety matters and up we come and you can obviously follow us on twitter or linkedin as well but we do start with the news and it's that time of year again where in my opinion it is the biggest news story of the year the health and safety executive has published its work-related fatality figures so 135 workers were killed in work-related incidents in Great Britain last year, according to figures published on the 6th of July 2023 by the Health and Safety Executive. Now, we cover this every year on HSM and obviously every year on the podcast. So I will come to how that uh, compares to others in a moment. But let's just break it down by the industries affected. With this. The highest deaths were construction, 45 deaths, and agriculture and forestry and fishing had 21 each. Manufacturing had 15. Transportation storage had 15 fatalities. Agricultural, forestry and fishing is the highest rate of fatal injury per 100,000 workers of all the main industrial sectors, uh, which is yeah, quickly followed by waste and recycling. So this annual data release by the Health and Safety Executive covers the period from April 2022 to March 2023. The three most common causes of fatal injuries were falls from height, 40 of them, being struck by a moving object, 29 of them, and being struck by a moving vehicle, 20. So here comes how it compares. So as I said, there was 135 worker deaths in this period, and that is higher than the previous year, 123. But the HSE is quick to point out that it's in line with pre-pandemic levels. As obviously, we had a dip during a pandemic of uh, workplace fatalities because of lockdowns. But it is in line with figures beforehand. In fact, the figures in 2020, 2021, before lockdown, was 145 fatalities. So this is obviously 10 less. But as we always say on this podcast, you know, one fatality is too many and everyone does have a right to go home safe. But let's look at the positives that we can out of this. Great Britain is still one of the safest places in the world to work. There has been a long-term downward trend in the rate of fatal injuries to workers. And in years prior to the coronavirus, this rate is now broadly flat and has been for a while. Um, it's also worth noting a further 68 members of the public were killed following work-related incidents in 2022-2023. And that is a decrease of 20 for last year. So previously it was uh, 88. So commenting on these statistics, HSC Chief Executive Sarah Alban said, 
any loss of life is a tragedy. While these figures show Great Britain as one of the safest countries in the world to work, safety must continue to be the prop of everyone's agenda. So the HSE has also published its annual figures on mesothelioma, which is a cancer caused by past exposure to asbestos. So the latest figures show that 2,268 people died from the disease in 2021. That is a fall of 302 compared to the 2,570 deaths in 2020, and substantially lower than the average 2,520 deaths per year between the period of 2012 and 2019. So as I was saying, you know, the, the positives is that this is in line and in fact down from the main number of fatalities pre-pandemic, but obviously, you know, any loss of life is a tragedy, especially work-related, and it is up on the previous year. So the headline figures is the workplace fatalities in Great Britain has increased year on year, but is it roughly in line with um, what it was pre-pandemic? Moving on to our second news story now, it's another one related to the Health and Safety Executive. And the Health and Safety Executive inspectors have begun a targeted inspection initiative focusing on manufacturing businesses where materials that contain silica are used. This will include brick and tile manufacturers and foundries. Exposure to airborne particles of respiratory crystalline silica, which is RCS, can lead to life-changing respiratory conditions such as silicosis, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and lung cancer. Silica is a natural substance found in most stones, rocks, sand and clay and silica particles are produced during the manufacturing tasks involved with these materials. Over time, exposure to silica particles can harm workers' ability to breathe and cause irreversible, often fatal lung diseases. So the inspection started on the 3rd of July, 2023 and... They're checking that employers and workers know the risks involved with dealing with RCS and that businesses have control measures in place to protect workers' respiratory health. So this initiative is supported by the HZ's Dust Kills Silica campaign, which we've covered before on the podcast. This provides straightforward advice and guidance on the WorkRight website for employers and workers to help everyone understand the risks and how to protect respiratory health when processing materials that contain silica. I'd urge you to go to the website, which is workright, that's W-O-R-K-R-I-G-H-T, dot campaign, dot gov, dot UK, forward slash campaigns, forward slash silica. Now listen, if you can't remember that, don't worry. Go to the HSM website, throw in our search box, HSC launches manufacturing inspection, and off we go. You will see the link straight in the story. So carrying on for this minute, it's worth noting that employers have a legal duty to create suitable arrangements to manage health and safety and ensure they comply with the Control of Substances Hazards to Health Regulations 2002, which most of us would know as COSH. Inspectors will be looking for evidence that businesses have put in place effective control measures such as local exhaust ventilation and, where appropriate, use of water suppression and PPE equipment or RPE to reduce workers' exposure to RCS. If any health and safety breaches are discovered, the HSC will then take enforcement action to make sure workers' health is protected. So commenting on this, HSC's Head of Manufacturing, David Butter, said, It's important that manufacturing businesses act now to ensure that they comply with the law and protect their workers from serious lung diseases. Businesses should take note that good ventilation in the workplace and personal protective equipment are just some of the measures they need to put in place to protect the respiratory health of their workers. During the 2002 Silica Initiative, inspection findings indicated poor management of control measures, including engineering controls, cleaning and housekeeping, and RPE management. Employers should ensure control measures are used and maintained where appropriately. 
So, as I said, you can go to the workright.campaign.gov.uk website for all of the latest guidance on that. Or you can, as I said, go to this article. You can actually sign up for regular updates on this via email. Go to our website, hsmsearch.com. In our search box, throw in HSC Launches Manufacturing Inspection Initiative, and you'll get all the information you need on this. But it's great to see that this campaign's gone to the next level and the inspectors are being proactive. I've often said this on a podcast before, I fully support the HSE when they are proactively inspecting premises to ensure that workers and sites are safe. So I really applaud this campaign. It's great to see. So moving on to another news story, which came out of the back end of June, actually, and it's a bit of a historic one. So seven of the UK's most prominent safety and health organisations have united to form the Occupational Safety and Health Stakeholder Alliance, which will offer a 360-degree perspective on critical safety and health issues for the first time. The British Occupational Hygiene Society, which is BOHS, British Safety Council, British Safety Industry Federation, Chartered Institute of Environmental Health, International Institute of Risk and Safety Management, which is DELIRSM, Institutional Occupational Safety and Health, IOSH, and the Royal Society for Prevention of Accidents, ROSPA, have signed a Memorandum of Understanding on the 12th of May to create the Occupational Safety and Health Stakeholder Alliance. So collectively, the members' competencies span the full spectrum of OSH considerations, including education and regulation to policy creation, professional standards and thought leadership. It will provide a unified voice for the OSH industry, drawing on members' collective expertise to inform and support OSH decision-making at a government policy maker and corporate level. The Alliance members have said they're delighted to be announcing the formation of this new organisation and its a historic alliance they've described it as, with the potential to have far-reaching positive impact on the OSH management in the UK. It's a non-exclusive group and that welcomes wider involvement for the delivery of its aims. And Health and Safety Matters will certainly be working with them to promote those. It's committed to supporting the good practice that already prevails in the OSH space and developing and implementing programmes, initiatives and activities that enhance it. The group will leverage members' influences to deliver joint messaging and facilitate continuous progress on critical OSH issues. So many members of the Alliance have already been engaged in lobbying with the government departments to safeguard key UK safety and health legislation and that's often you know, been derived from the EU and covered from the retained EU law revocation and reform bill. And this will continue to be a focus area for the group. So this is an interesting one. I mean, there's kind of similar in the fire safety sector, which I cover too over at Fire Safety Matters. And in fact, you know, I'm a member of it, the Fire Sector Federation, which is an overarching body for everybody in the fire safety sector. Now, often the problem with these groups is it's difficult to come to a unified opinion on everything. And that's certainly been the case in the fireside. But the premise of bringing everyone together as one voice, particularly in the lobbying side, is something that I support because government doesn't want to listen to lots and lots of different groups, different agendas. One group that encompasses as many as possible and speaks the united voice could be very, very powerful. So I'm going to be really interested to see how this moves on and uh, you know i'm certainly going to support it and we'll be covering it in the magazine so uh yeah i wish um all the stakeholders of the occupational safety and health stakeholder alliance all the best and look forward to covering it as we move on so another uh bit of uh, industry news that we've got is there is a new chair announced for nebosh so rob hull has been announced as the new chair of nebosh and i'm sure everyone here is familiar with nebosh but if you're not it's an international health and safety awarding organization and charity 
And he's going to take up the position from this July, about the time that I'm recording this now. So Rob joins Neewatch with extensive experience in education, training, and charitable organisations. He's had a career in the civil service that encompasses national education and training policy, including qualifications, occupational standards. So obviously very, very well equipped in this area. Rob has held a range of non-executive director roles in education and training organisations, and he's been a governor of schools and universities and is currently the chair of the New City College Group in the UK. Rob's non-executive experience extends also to charitable organisations where he was a chair of the Islington Giving in London until 2021, which was an initiative that brought together charitable foundations, businesses, housing associations and other stakeholders to tackle social problems arising from poverty and inequality. So speaking on his appointment, Rob has said, the health and safety profession is a particularly vital one. The people in it are dedicated to safeguarding the well-being of others and I'm excited to be part of this special community. Niwash leads the way in providing a high educational benchmark for the profession and I'm committed to ensuring this continues. More people in countries should be able to work safely each and every day. I hope that my experience in education, training and charities, along with the expertise in quality and governance, will advance us closer to our vision of a safe and healthy world of work. So the new chair will lead Niwash's board while working alongside the leadership team to further impact the charity has on the global health and safety profession. Alongside the newly appointed Chief Executive Andy Shenstone, he will guide and develop a new strategy that delivers educational excellence, rigorous standards, collaboration with like-minded organisations and enhanced social purpose programme. So, uh, you know, I wish Rob very much the best in this new role. Hopefully we can uh, convince Nibosh to lend him to us for an interview for an upcoming uh, edition of the podcast, so I'll certainly reach out. But it's always interesting when you have significant movements at the uh, top of organisations like this. So I thought it was newsworthy to share and um, I wish Rob and Nibosh all the best with this appointment. So as I said before, you don't have to wait until this podcast comes out to get all the latest health and safety news, prosecutions, products and services. You can go to our website, which is hsmsearch.com or just search into a search engine, Health and Safety Matters. And as I said, you can also sign up there to get our newsletters, which have the news and prosecutions and products on there as well, or go to our webinars. So it's also worth saying that in the next couple of weeks, at the end of July, we will be opening registration for our very first in-person HSM conference. So Health and Safety Matters Live Scotland will be taking place in the Edinburgh International Conference Centre on the 16th of November. 2023. Keep your eyes peeled to social media. Come the last week of July, we will be publishing the agenda and allowing you to register for free. We will also be co-locating with a Nibosh Sustainability Conference. Is there and more information on that will come as well. It's all completely free to attend. It takes place in the Edinburgh International Conference Centre in November this year. So do keep an eye out on both Nibosh and Health and Safety Matters social media channels and on our website. And by the time I do the next podcast, you may well have already had emails. If not, you certainly hear on the next podcast the direct web domain so you can sign up to come for free. And we hope to see many of you there because we have got three theatres of content across the day, including a mock trial that will be delivered on an actual case law in Scotland on an actual case of uh, health and safety regulations up there. So well worth coming. But it's at this stage we introduce a guest and I'm delighted that my guest on today's edition of the podcast is 
Scott Gaddis. And Scott is the Vice President and Global Practice Leader for Satan Health at Intellects. And during this conversation that I sat down earlier with Scott, we covered a number of things, including um, safety culture and uh, ways of measuring safety engagement. And also went over some recent really interesting research that was uh, conducted by Intellects. So I sat down with Scott and here's what he had to say. Hi, Scott. How are you? Oh, it's fantastic to be here with you, Mark. Well, thank you for joining us. You're one of the very few that is a recurring guest for us. This is your second time on the podcast. <laughs> but it's, it's always great to have you on, and, and it shows the, the great thing is you're across the other side of the world, aren't you? Whereabouts in the USA are you based? Yeah, I, I live in Kentucky and work remotely now from my home office, so, uh, so it's wonderful. I am uh, back in the place where I was born and raised and uh, having a great time here. And funnily enough, you know, normally I'd be based in the UK, but I'm actually working out in Spain at the moment. So it's a truly international uh, feel as we are. Wonderful, yeah. Um, but <laughs> that's the joys of the podcast. And we've got quite a bit to cover today. So we want to touch on safety culture first. So just wanted to ask okay. you, how is safety culture different from business culture and why? Oh, wow. What a wonderful uh, question. You know, I often get into these questions and debate with colleagues about culture. And, you know, some believe it's just culture, while others have these elaborate definitions. And when I think about business culture, I think it refers to your company's behavioral and your procedural norms. It's, it's the policies, right? It's procedures. It's ethics. It's how we think about employees and and basically it, it sums up a, a company's personality and it defines their their work environment uh, it's everything uh, how i look to like how i like to look at it from the management style to my expectations as an employee to benefits even advancement opportunities all kind of roll up in, into uh, business culture. Safety culture is much the same. You know, it's a lot of those things. It's our underlying beliefs. It's 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 the truth that we lived with. It's it's ideas and assumptions. But I think the difference is is that the practices, especially when it when it comes to safety and health are demonstrated by its members. So when I think safety culture, I think it's something that you can see happening right in front of you. And it's taking all this cultural stuff that we talk about in mission and vision statements and seeing it displayed right there in front of you and, and carried out by an organization's employees. And I, I often share, you know, from my time when I was leading a corporate health and safety program, really for two Fortune 200 companies, I would do business reviews and I would travel with the executive team and the facilities that had superior and lasting safety performance were easily the ones that also had a strong safety culture. It, it was a part of the vernacular. When you spoke to a worker, uh, you could see it in their activities. You know, they were they were taking training, but they were also leading training. They were doing inspections. They were reporting hazards and concerns. They were taking on safety objectives and owning a part of this personal development plan. So in, in essence, when you see safety culture, it's in action and it becomes part of their DNA. And there's just not a chance that you can hide it when you see it uh, happening in, in front of you. So I, I think the why is because you have an organization that has tremendous value 
for protecting the life of, of people, you know, that work for us and also protecting the organization from, from loss, regardless of what type of loss that would be. And what are some of the ways to measure safety engagement and what activities equate to engagement? Yeah, I, I get this I get this question quite a lot too. So employee engagement and, and safety often refers to, you know, do I see this level of commitment? Are they involved? Is there in enthusiasm, you know, that uh, that I can feel from the employees that are working uh, in, in the work environment. And, you know, measurement becomes difficult, I think, for many of us, because we're trying to measure how I feel as a person and what my perceptions are. And the problem with that is that regardless to what we think, perceptions uh, change, right? They can change this moment because something happened in the work environment that drives me to think a different way. However, at the end of the day, perceptions, whether right or wrong, they become truth to uh, to every single employee. So, so with that said, I think encouraging or even requiring, and, and for a lot of years in my career, I did have requirements for participation uh, to join the safety process because I, I thought it was very critical and and measuring their participation i think is is really key to driving uh, safety culture so when when i look at at trying to change or trying to enhance safety culture in the organizations i've been in i i go right back to the management system right what does my management system tell me where are my gaps and then i, I look at four big elements on how i can effectively measure participation in each of those those categories so you know mark as i think about that you know health and safety capability and capacity if there's one big huge element that i'm always going to do really well it's going to be capability of, of the workforce because i can clearly link the more people know the better they perform and uh, do they do well on knowledge assessments do they do well and have the necessary skills to perform. All of those things I can measure. I think often overlooked is a worker's capacity to give back what they know. So we're training a group of employees, we're building skill, then we send them straight back to work and, and we don't offer them the opportunity to coach and mentor side to side or to stand in front of a, a group of employees and talk very specifically about the, the capability that they have. So those are all levers to, uh, to, to not only cultural awareness, but it builds out, right, partnership within the work environment. The second thing that I often talk about is compliance. And, and often a lot of my peers and colleagues, they challenge me because they would say regulatory compliance is not a cultural driver. And I absolutely believe that it is. Most workers, they want to come into work. They want to feel safe in their occupation. And they're really relying on the organization to provide it for them. So partnerships, participating in health and safety audits from the manufacturing floor or the service operation, that helps me sustain a safe environment. Uh, I can employ hazard concerns reporting. I can ask for help from those that are closest to the work on SOPs or JSAs or even policy setting. And that all, right, uh, brings about more participation in the work system. And it's a lever 
for uh, for for the, the culture that I'm really trying to to drive. I think the third thing that I always often talk about is management, leadership, and commitment. If we don't have leadership commitment and and safety and health led as a priority and a value from the very top of the organization, I don't think you're going to have as much. Uh, uh, success as you would like. So you absolutely uh, need to, to visibly see safety value at the top of the organization. Uh, when I led, you know, a couple of organizations, the most senior leaders in my organizations, which was the CEO, I would have them, right, send out quarterly messages purely on safety and health. And I didn't need much more from that position in the organization other than, right, saying the right things, sending the right messages to the organization. I think when you, when, especially since I've been in corporate leadership for so long, when you do a business review uh, at a facility, it should always start with safety. Why? Because it sets the tone. Uh, more tangible and on a local level, uh, leadership safety gimbal walks, right, or making sure that the, the, the management team and leaders in the organization are, are going out at least weekly, right, and, and having conversations about safety and to understand issues that employees may have. Huge cultural driver, uh, ensuring corrective action plans are monitored, being a part of the investigation process, hosting safety meetings uh, where, where employees can just say they feel safe to, to, uh, to really speak their mind about things. All of those things under management leadership and how committed we are to safety and health that can be measured. Finally, right, and probably what, what everyone thinks I'm going to say is behavior, right, is that this element of moving your management system forward, in my mind, is, is simply the hardest because it kind of goes back to my, my earlier comments about trying to measure how people feel. So it's really difficult to do that, but it's a big lever if you want to do safety and health well. So uh, what can we do? Observation and feedback is certainly not a bad part of your program if you can figure out an effective way that's agreeable to an employee population. And I, I worked in a lot of organized facilities where, you know, people did not want to be tracked personally. However, they were willing to observe the work of a coworker as long as we could talk about it in general senses, right? But within a crew, within a work shift, all of those things, right? Just to point out common problems that we could could work on. Supervisor, supervisor interactions are important. Those things can be measured. Um, all of those, you know, things to understand why I'm seeing a certain behavior and then what can I do to affect uh, the culture the way that I want to. So I think you got to stick to things that you can measure. And most of those things really kind of come down to how engaged the workforce is. So Interlake's actually did some really interesting recent research. And that discovered that improving employee participation in health and safety is the number one reported challenge. That's what that research found out. So the question I've got for you is, how important is employee participation in health and safety and how can this be improved? Yeah, and that's another great question. You know, Intellex has been performing a lot of research over the, uh, over the last several years. And the number one uh, reported challenge that was reported to us through a survey, and, and kind of mind you that that in EMEA, uh, that included you know much of the audience here today, uh, we found about 41% of those respondents, of, of those 700 uh, folks that we talked with, 
that reporting employee participation was key and when you had a problem with it. So it really does go back to my earlier comments about safety culture. If you want a culture that delivers to the targets that you believe are really critical, you need to improve their participation. And I, I believe, you know, in my mind, you really need to get to a level of partnership. Uh, which means that you established a relationship so deeply in the organization that you have people that want to own part of the safety process with you. And, and there's a big difference. So, you know, participation, I agree to do what you've asked me to do. Partnership, let me stand side by side you and walk forward. So if you want to, to, to really increase participation, go the next step and say, what are these things that I can really partner with because you have something to say? And to explain this, I, I do this quite often as well, is imagine a circle with a safety and health professional as the dot in the center of that circle. And then it's comprised of these other dots representing, you know, workers. Your role in the center and a lot of us as safety and health professionals is to provide answers and instructions and do all of those things that we would probably consider our day-to-day -day activities. As you mature the process, you as a safety leader, you move to the perimeter of that circle along with all of these other dots, right? These, these workers and you're making decisions together. And that's where coaching and mentoring start to happen, right? You're starting to gather around uh, more participation. You know, you're starting to, to share decisions together. And granted, I, I think the, the fact is, is that your dot may be a little bit bigger, right? But overall, you're making decisions together because you've had access to build their safety capability and capacity in the organization. I think really where safety culture leaps forward is the final step. And where you've moved outside the circle, imagine a safety leader is just now outside a circle and you're just simply monitoring for success. And I can promise you that some of you or many of you will have areas within your facilities where this is happening, where you know you don't have to go on a day-to-day -day basis because they are very competent in what they do and you trust them because all of these things that make up great safety culture. I, I think at times, you're going to find yourself jumping back into the middle of the circle because you're still the, the chief SME, but overall, you're watching the organization being successful, and that really allows you to focus on new aspects of, uh, of safety culture. So I think leading safety you know, this way really kind of means that you're not always the chief decision maker, but you're the most effective coach and mentor. And, uh, and I think that that's just really a big a big, big change for us. You know, you know, saying that and reflecting back on the survey, we also had about a third of our respondents to the to the intellects research surveys that showed the need for training and skills development as one of their biggest areas of improvement need. It's also so it's also building out a, a capability plan, right? It also shows us that we have to do better at, uh, at doing inspections and auditing and, and creating champion roles in the workforce. Uh, what I would say is that every organization is on its own cultural journey. So figuring out how participation should work and, and how you should, should drive toward uh, specific measures are really up to you. You know, it really means that we're gonna have to get in and understand the management system better maybe than we do today. So another question I have for you, what are the advantages of using a data analytics software system instead of a simple tool such as spreadsheet application? Yeah, I, I, 
So I, I've been around a long time, you know, almost, well, over 30 years now. Is using pencil and paper, you know, to record things, uh, which worked for a bit, right? So I had a small facility that I that I started in, uh, but as my responsibilities grew, as I started tacking on other facilities to manage our 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 new our our new areas to manage, my my work got extremely difficult because I had so much information that was coming into my desk that I'm trying to to keep and all these disparate systems, you know, paper and pencil. I I had uh, you know all the Microsoft tools, but. Uh, I, I would say this, you know, kind of going back to, to some of that research, uh, many of, of the listeners on the podcast, I think, uh, would, would say this, is that when we did our research on our survey, over 60% of our European respondents said that they were also using technology solutions not designed for environmental health or safety. So it means that we're using Microsoft products possibly, right? But we're using certainly technology that was not designed to, to help us. So I, I think that, you know, the advantages of, of using systems to understand data specific to, to EHS uh, and now even ESG work is, is vitally important because we support you differently through the applications. Uh, you know, Im- improving pr- employee participation in the health and safety, I've already said it was the number one challenge. Uh, the second one was education and training was that second big challenge that, that folks had. And thirdly, it was implementing this culture of safety. So we always ask at Intellects is how does data analytics really help us uh, understand you know information differently and I, I think it's this mark is that if you can imagine we have all of this information that kind of as at the top of the funnel and it's coming to you through various streams so you may have a portion of it that's coming from maintenance you may have a portion of it coming through quality you may have a portion of it coming through incident management systems right so literally you just have all of this information where we really kind of step in and help you is collecting all of that data and parsing that through analytics so you could just understand it much, much differently than you can today. Uh, I, I was certainly new to, to technology about five years ago, but I, I, I joined Intellects because I was a safety and health professional that had a problem understanding just the vast volume of data. I even had business analysts on my teams to decipher or to parse that data so I can make a decision. But I was always 10 or 15 days out from when I can make the best decision. And I wanted to improve that. So I thought by joining Intellects, I could certainly do that. And now through data analytics, I can give you information in real time or at least near real time. And I can parse that information to you in a way that you can understand it to make the decisions. I, I sometimes waffle, you know, when I talk about artificial intelligence because the, the pathway to that thinking is, is that I have something that's making decisions for you. and I. I want you to kind of back away from that because we deal with with people, right, which is a a fluid part of of our work. So what we want to do best is to get you the information, you know, through analytics that give you a chance to make the best decision as quick as you possibly can. And what would you recommend to businesses wanting to translate data into meaningful leading and lagging indicators? (sighs) 
Yeah, I, I, I sometimes get this question, too, because we do see a lot of, uh, of organizations. I, I talked to a colleague probably a couple of months ago, and, and they have stopped totally of recording lagging indicators, which honestly I, I think is a mistake. But when I, I think about uh, businesses wanting to translate data into to leading indicators, I think you really do have to look at the level of participation in the system. I, I led a, a, a project five years ago that we called the safety engagement score. And, and how I, I set that up is I was just looking at the data of our best performing clients that, that we do business with. So, you know, intellects, 1,500 clients, many of those very large enterprise systems. And I was very curious to understand what leading indicators were they actually following. And my first surprise was is that it was not anything out of the box. You know, it was how many people were attending their training sessions, how many investigations were done properly. Are we we uh, completing the, the uh, investigations properly through corrective action. So it's all of those things that many of, of us on the podcast have. The difference was, was the level of participation in those systems and then trying to understand it in a way that, that showed process robustness. So that's, that was really the parameters of, of my study uh, in, in this particular area. So I, I looked, there were about nine uh, very generally the same metrics, leading metrics that everyone followed. And then I was looking at their level of participation. Uh, and then I was able to take all of that and run an algorithm behind that information and come up with one single ordinal score that showed process strength. And, and really at the end of it, we had to decide it's not really where you start, right? It's where you continue to see uh, the, the process grows. So if you can imagine a, uh, you know, a, a needle, you know, gauge on a desktop, you know, you may just paint that red, yellow, and green. But what I want to see is that needle continuing to go forward, which means we're gaining more participation. And at some point, you tell yourself that I have active partnership within the system. So I would recommend to businesses wanting to translate data to make it very simple. I think you're hampered at a C-suite of coming up right with two or three valuable metrics that you really need to follow and communicate in the business. You know, the safety engagement score was a way for us to say, here's nine, and I can give you one metric that shows you process strength by doing, you know, these certain things and gaining participation. I also would say this, Mark, is that I, I've never been fearful uh, of lagging indicators. One, you know, tells me all of those things that I'm doing to proactively get to where I, I'm going. And the second with lagging indicators tells me how I'm failing. And that's not a bad thing because if I'm doing my leading indicators correctly, I should see a positive response in my lagging indicators. So I think it's a blend of things. I think it's okay to, um, you know, to record lagging indicators of failure as long as you're also promoting those things that mean a lot, you know, to the business in regard to how we're leading program forward. I would say this, try to attach it to a, a robust management system, and then you'll absolutely know the gaps in your management system and where to put more work. So we started talking about safety culture, and, that, and that's how I want to end my questions for you today. So if a business is looking to increase its maturity levels, what advice can you share on ways to improve safety culture? Yeah, I, I just got finished with, the, with this work as well. You know, we just launched 
what we call the blueprint for business to evaluate their, their current uh, health and safety and their ESG initiatives. And a lot of it is framed into how do you actually get to the culture that you you want you don't want to get to. And and so, you know, the framework enables organizations to proactively advance their approaches. So, you know, identifying uh, all of these different solutions, it, it takes a bit of time. So if you're looking to increase your maturity level and, and share on ways to improve safety culture, I, I think it is going back to your management system and saying, do I truly understand the management system? Do I truly you know agree with these gaps? And then what can we do Right to, uh, to to fill those gaps. I think it also uh, requires us to really talk to someone that's a specialist, especially if you're if you're looking to include technology in that plan. And and I, I would tell you that another reason I joined Intellects is I I, I could see. Uh, technology being a big driver, especially in the decade that we're in. And and regardless if you have technology solutions now or you're thinking about them or you've not thought about them, I can tell you that this space of technology, AI and, and machine learning and data sets, they are going to catch you uh, in, in how you're doing your work. And if you're not engaged in that, you can be sure that operations and quality and maintenance they're going to, to, to really start pressuring or, or adding tension to your work because of technology. So I, I think you really do have to think about technology and how we do work. And then I, I think technology also helps you on a maturity level, but by getting rid or, or at least addressing some of these big problems that you've always had problems with, but, uh, but you've not been able to get over the challenge. So I think technology certainly helps us do that. Um, so I, I so you know a long way to say, Mark, is that I really do think you've got to you got to get a trusted advisor in this space. We kind of pride ourselves as as making sure that we have people you know like me, believe it or not, that have been around uh, environmental health and safety work for a long, long time that can can put forth right uh, a. a great blueprint on how we can can increase your maturity in this space and, and we can get you better aligned business objectives and and better governance and growing regulatory requirements and it's one of the reasons i think we combined our ehsq solutions with esg because those things are starting to to really merge together and it really paints this picture of, of maturity right so i think when i look at, at improving safety culture i often tie it in with technology because i think that it's the best next step uh, for you to get, you know, to, to get around some of those challenges that you've had. And I would say that's a perfect segue um, before we give you more information on how to get in touch with Scott. We actually did a webinar, Health and Safety Matters, with Intellects recently, which was on how improving EHS and ESG performance can drive competitive advantage. And this was a discussion with Intellects, and it was with one of Scott's colleagues, which was um, Ben Henderson, and we also had Louise <laughs> Ward um, from GW UK on there as well. So if you go to our website, hsmsearch.com, click on the webinars tab, there's a big Intellects logo next to there, go and watch On Demand to get yourself a CPD certificate, well worth the listen. But Scott, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about Intellects, what's the quickest and easiest way to do so? 
So the quickest way is to go to intellects.com, and there you'll have access to uh, to our roadmap and our solutions, even our blogs. You know, many of those blogs I uh, I, I take time to write. So that's the easiest way, intellects.com. I would also always I always embrace uh, having colleagues that connect with me. So I'm on LinkedIn. I believe it's G Scott Gaddis, but I'm sure you can just uh, search Scott Gaddis. And uh, and you'll find me and I answer a lot of questions that way. I get uh, some pushback or some differences of opinion. And that's a great thing. You know, I'm always uh, looking looking forward to those things. But but you see us on LinkedIn. Certainly, you can go to intellects.com. And, uh, you know, I, I'm always available you know, to help you. So 24 hours a day. I think I learned that from being a safety and health professional. You got to be available. So I, I'm here to, to certainly help you in whatever journey you, you want to take with us. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time today. As always, it's a great pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you, Mark. Cheers, everyone. And that's all we've got time for on this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. My thanks to our guest, Scott Gaddis, but also thanks to the Health and Safety Event, which is the sponsor of the podcast. And if you don't know, as I said at the start of the program, you can register your interest now for free to attend the Health and Safety Event, which takes next year. It's co-located along with the Fire Safety Event, the Security Event, and the Workplace Event. And it uh, all takes place towards the end of April next year. All you need to do is go to healthandsafetyevent.com and you can register for your free pass. The event takes place on the 30th of April to the 2nd of May 2024 at the NEC in Birmingham. But as I said earlier, you don't have to wait for this podcast to come out to get all the latest health and safety news, prosecutions, products and services. You can go to our website, hsmsearch.com or throw into a search engine, Health and Safety Matters, up we come. And if you go to our website, you can look at all of our upcoming webinars and register for free, and you get a CBD certificate with your name on if you attend. You can also look at all of our back archive of um, webinars where you can get CBD as well. You can sign up to get our twice-a-week e-newsletter along with 54,000 other people in your industry, or you can sign up to get HSM and the BSIF guide for free. So plenty of stuff that you can do on there, all on hsmsearch.com. In the meantime, if there's anything you want to cover on the podcast, please do share your views and get in touch with us um, on Twitter, LinkedIn, using the hashtag HSMPodcast. Please do give us a good positive review on however you're listening to this, whether it's YouTube or any podcast platform, please do give us a, a star rating on there and leave your comments. We'd very much appreciate it. But uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for joining this episode of the podcast, and we will see you next time on the Health and Safety Matters podcast. Mm-hmm.